0: Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to This Day in History class where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was April 26th, 1986, At the Chernobyl nuclear power station in Soviet Ukraine, a chemical explosion caused an enormous fire. Large quantities of radioactive material were released into the atmosphere for nearly two weeks because of the accident. Even though people in the nearby area were evacuated, the wind spread the radiation, which contaminated land and caused thousands of people to get radiation-related illnesses. The Chernobyl power station was in the town of Pripyat, just northwest of the city of Chernobyl. The station was built in the late 1970s. It had four reactors, or devices, where nuclear fission is initiated and controlled in a self-sustaining chain reaction to create energy or radiation. Each of the reactors could produce 1,000 megawatts of electric power. On the evening of April 25, 1986, engineers began a test on reactor unit four. They wanted to figure out whether the reactor's turbine could run emergency water pumps during a power loss. But the test and reactor were not designed well. The engineers shut down the reactor's power regulating system and emergency safety systems. Then they let the reactor run at a low power and removed most of the control rods from its core. Control rods maintained the fission rate in a nuclear reactor. The reactor's output went up to 200 megawatts, and at 1.23 a.m. on April 26th, the engineers shut down the turbine engine to see if its inertial spinning would power the reactor's water pumps. It did not. Because there was no cooling water, the reactor's power level surged. So the engineers put all the control rods back into the reactor at once. That was supposed to prevent a meltdown. The problem was the control rods had graphite tips. Those graphite tips made the chain reaction in the core go out of control and steam building up in the reactor blasted the steel and concrete lid off of it. Radioactive debris went flying everywhere and there was a partial meltdown in the reactor core. Another explosion went off seconds later and a fire went off at reactor number three. Because engineers had shut down emergency systems, safeties were not triggered, though this was not a violation of regulations. The explosion released 400 times more radiation than the atomic bomb the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima. About 31 people died in the first few months after the explosion from the blast, acute radiation sickness, and cardiac arrest. Firefighters arrived minutes after the fire started, but they were not wearing any gear that would protect them from the radiation, and many of them soon died from exposure. At five in the morning the next day, reactor three was shut down. The day after that, reactors one and two were shut down. The fire was put out with sand, lead, and nitrogen, which took about two weeks. But the accident had released extremely dangerous levels of radioactive substances like iodine-131, plutonium, and cesium-137. The plumes of radioactive material released into the air were carried for miles by currents of air. Lethal rain fell. Throughout Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, Scandinavia, and other parts of Europe, many more people were exposed to high doses of radiation. On the 27th of April, the Soviet government began evacuating Pripyat's tens of thousands of residents. At the time, evacuees did not know how serious the accident had been. At first, the Soviet Union tried to keep the accident a secret, not announcing the scale of the disaster. But a few days after the explosion, Swedish officials realized that high radiation levels in Europe were the result of a nuclear accident in the Soviet Union. So on April 28th, the Soviet Union announced that there was an accident at Chernobyl. In May, hundreds of thousands of people called liquidators were sent to Chernobyl to help clean up. They worked in short shifts as they did not have adequate protective gear. Over several months, a huge steel and cement sarcophagus was built to encase reactor four and prevent the further spread of radiation. Still, thousands of people remained in contaminated areas. People got sick from the radiation, which increased the incidence of thyroid cancer. Animals and forests were also affected. The Chernobyl power station wasn't decommissioned until 2000. In 2016, a new confinement was placed over the old sarcophagus, which had been deemed unsound. Today, there is a Chernobyl exclusion zone that's about 1,000 square miles, where people cannot live and agriculture is not allowed. But there are animals, like wolves and bison, living at the site. There are plans for a solar power plant to be constructed at the site, and people can visit the abandoned territory as tourists. But the radioactivity is still affecting people and likely will for decades. For example, cows miles away from the site still produce milk with high levels of radiation. The number of deaths caused by the radioactivity is controversial, as the long-term health effects of radiation are hard to pinpoint and statistics can be unreliable. Many fears of radiation-induced health issues are unsubstantiated, but estimates of the death toll have ranged from a few thousand to an improbable million. I'm Eves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there's something that I missed in an episode, you can share it with everybody else on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. We'll see you here in the same place tomorrow. Hello everyone, I'm Eve, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a podcast that brings you a different moment in history every single day. And before we start the show, I just wanted to say that I know a lot of us are having a really hard time now, and we're in really different situations than we're used to, but I do hope that this podcast provides you with some sort of enlightenment or a moment in your day that can help you carry on and just operates as a reminder that Time does go on. The day was April 26, 1920. Astronomers Harlow Shapley and Haber Curtis presented their opposing points about the scale of the universe in an event sometimes called the Great Debate. Haber Curtis found his interest in astronomy in the 1890s. He studied at the University of Virginia on a Vanderbilt Fellowship and got his doctorate there in 1902. Lick Observatory in California hired him and he stayed at Lick for the next 18 years. During his time there, nebulae were one of the subjects that he was invested in. At the time, the word nebula referred to any celestial object that appeared fuzzy through a telescope. Through his work, Curtis began to support the island universe theory. He was convinced that certain nebulae were island universes comparable to our own galaxy. In 1918, he published a study of 762 nebulae that he had photographed with the Crosley reflector. But many other astronomers were more skeptical of the theory. Harlow Shapley got his doctorate in astronomy from Princeton University in 1913. The next year, he went to Mount Wilson Observatory in California. There, he studied the distribution of globular clusters in the Milky Way. Through his observations, Shapley determined that our solar system is not at the center of the galaxy. At this point, it was widely believed that the sun was at the center of the galaxy. But Shapley concluded that the sun was around 50,000 light years away from the center. He also concluded that the galaxy was around 300,000 light years in diameter and 30,000 light years thick. That meant that the galaxy was much larger than previously thought. These numbers were later revised, but his contributions provided a more realistic estimate for the size of the galaxy. The nature of spiral nebulae was also a subject of debate at the time. Shapley believed that our galaxy is enormous and that spiral nebulae were part of it, while Curtis did not buy into Shapley's size for the Milky Way. However, Curtis maintained his belief that spiral nebulae were other galaxies comparable to the Milky Way. Astronomer Adrian von Mannen's research on spiral nebulae at Mount Wilson gave Shapley even more fuel to doubt the validity of the island universe theory. These differences in thought led to the so-called Great Debate of April 26, 1920. Shapley and Curtis presented their positions at a meeting of the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, DC. Shapley argued his findings on the large dimensions of the galaxy, saying that if the spiral nebulae were as large as our galaxy, they would have to be inconceivably large distances away. He thought that the spiral nebulae were clusters made up mostly of gas. Curtis, on the other hand, noted the great distances to the spiral nebulae, arguing that all of them could not be in our small Milky Way. No clear winner emerged in the aftermath of the discussion, but Shapley turned out to be right about the enormity of the Milky Way and the sun not being at its center, and Curtis was right about the spiral nebulae being outside our galaxy. In 1924, astronomer Edwin Hubble announced that the spiral nebula Andromeda was actually a galaxy. Modern estimates put the number of galaxies in the universe at 2 trillion. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to send us any suggestions or comments, you can hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast. You can also send us an email at thisday at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.